everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the Switch Focus podcast. We are one man down today. It is just myself and Andrew, as I think Andy is recuperating from a very sorrowful football-based event that happened this morning. But regardless, the show must go on. We have got quite a bit of stuff to talk about today in terms of news and other discussion topics. So let's get right into it. So, as I said, it's just myself and Andrew today, so we may have a little bit of a shorter updates section, but I know that Andrew, you in particular, played the Banner Saga, which Andy and I had played last week. What are your thoughts on it so far? How are you finding it? It's a very slow-paced game, which I don't mind all that much, but when you combine that with the fact that, at least personally speaking, I didn't find the strategy RPG battles to be all that interesting, it kind of compounded itself and I thought it was kind of boring. I enjoyed chapter two. I liked the choices that you had to make. It put you in some interesting situations and asked you to make some interesting choices as this character who is suddenly pushed into a leadership position. But then you go to chapter three, which happens on the other side of the world map as a different character. And you play as these giants called Varls, and you're in this alliance with a prince, and you're supposed to be taking him to this place. And you got to go along this very long stretch of road, <laughs> and you're constantly being attacked by these monsters called the Dredge. And I just really, really struggled with that sequence. And I was like, okay, I, I kind of get what they're doing here. They're trying to establish the Dredge as a real threat. And this is supposed to be kind of a marathon and kind of a meat grinder. This is supposed to be difficult. I would come out of almost every battle, and I'm just playing on medium difficulty, with multiple injuries, if not losing the battle outright. So everybody I brought in is injured and going into the next map weakened as a result. And then I got to the other end of the road, finally, into this tower and got put in this battle that I'm expected to win. And I couldn't because people were just, they were too injured to be able to deal with the giant dredge monsters who were basically one-shotting half the people on my side. And my guys were doing maybe one damage if I was lucky. So I dropped it down to easy and the same thing was happening. There is something that I am not understanding about what I'm supposed to be doing in this game. But I got so fed up with chapter three that I just, I quit playing I don't want Mm. to even think about Banner Saga anymore. I don't care about the sequels anymore. I'm just, I'm done. It it lost me. I've got to be misunderstanding something about the stat system because this game, when you level up your characters, you do have to allocate the stats yourselves. I hate Mm -hmm. that. I always do it wrong. So I think that's my problem is I just wasn't putting stats in the places I was supposed to be. Even aside from how much difficulty I was having just trying to compete with these monsters, even on easy difficulty, I thought it was kind of a boring game anyway. So Mm. I might come back to it once I've got a better understanding of how I'm supposed to be spreading my stats out, but it's certainly not a priority for me anymore. I was very disappointed with the Banner Saga. Yeah, that's fair enough. Not the outcome that I had expected personally from you playing it. Yeah, I'm not sure where the issue is because I found combat to be quite breezy, but I also play a lot of games that are like this, I guess, and lots of kind of more old school Dungeons and Dragons type SRPG games. Well, that's fair enough. Um, Not every game is for everyone. 
I can't quite remember if the sequels actually improve on the pacing or the combat, so it's fair enough if you end up giving those a miss as well, but it's a bit of a shame. Andy and I really, really loved it, slash do love it. Now that we've heard from Andrew about the Banner Saga, let's move into the latest Switch news. So I think way, 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 way back when we had talked about the Switch coming out and like, I guess, Switch version 2 coming out and what that would look like. And I'm pretty sure it was either you, Andrew, or Andy, maybe even both of you at the same time, who mentioned that the dockless Switch, or I guess like a just purely handheld one, would sort of be the Switch's 2.0 release. And I guess you're right. It's Japan only. How do we feel about this? Like long time coming, expected it, or what's the deal? I think I was the one who came up with that prediction. And actually, my prediction was it would be more like the 2DS, where it would be a a featureless Mm -hmm. version of the Switch, where uh, I think I said the Joy-Con wouldn't even detach, I think was my prediction, which uh, this is not quite that. This is basically a second Switch. That is a fully functional Switch, but it doesn't have a, a dock in the box. And I think we've all by now known how overpriced the dock is so i don't know how much value that really takes out of the box just leaving the dock out it's marketed towards people who already have a switch and a dock and they just need a second one but they don't necessarily value a second dock so i I can kind of see the logic of that Uh, i think Mm. i think it's a, a good idea and i wouldn't be surprised if it came over here to the west anytime soon here yeah, seems about right. Probably the best time for it as well, considering how things like Smash are coming out. And I guess we're looking at or we're hoping to enjoy, um, I guess, an influx of multiplayer games and multiplayer game interest once they launch the online service. So I guess the release announced timing kind of makes sense from that perspective. But yeah, hopefully we do get it soon. I'm sure we will. Everything that Japan gets, we just get a couple months later or a year later looking at you monster hunter game um but yeah i'm sure i'll come here eventually our other japan exclusive currently resident evil 7 cloud version one caveat you can still download it even if you're not in japan but i think playing is basically impossible because all the servers are in japan so if you're a western fan so sorry (laughs) but downloading it um outside of japan is not gonna net you any sort of I guess, meaningful engagement with the title until they get, like, an actual Western release. So I'm not a huge RE7 fan slash RE fan at all. It's really just kind of Andrew and Andy that are super into that stuff. So as a fan of RE7, how do you feel about this, and how is the cloud version different, per se? I know it's, like, kind of renting the game and stuff like that, but what else is different about this from, I guess, a normal RE release? Well, if you listen to the show, you know my feelings about... Uh, digital options. I don't like them. (laughs) I think the cloud version of RE7 is a pretty good example. Why? Because it's yet another step towards removing ownership of the game from the player and just putting it in the hands of a corporation that deigns to let you play the game on their service. You can buy a license to play it for 180 days, about half a year, and after that you have to pay again if you want to keep playing, which maybe for some people that would be fine. It's $20, which is quite a bit less than you're going to pay for it on other platforms. It's about a year and a half old now, but it's still a pretty good seller, so the price hasn't dropped too much. So there, there is a good value there for that, and maybe you're the kind of person who plays a game once and then doesn't play it again, so you wouldn't necessarily care if you beat it in two weeks and then half a year later you couldn't play it anymore because you were done playing it anyway. 
But let me tell a story about when I got Hyrule Warriors on Wii U. Uh, I bought it used at a game shop. And when I opened it up, I found that the person who had it previously had left the receipt in the case. And it was from a store in California. And I live in Oregon, which is a couple hundred miles north. So that game had been owned by somebody, presumably paid by somebody, and made its way north to where I live. Maybe they moved, maybe they were up here and needed some extra money and sold it. Who knows? But that game has a history, and it's a history unique to that game. And we already have digital games where you play them and then you delete them when you're done with them. There's no history there. And now we're looking at the cloud version where there's literally no way for this game to have a history. I can't even leave this game installed on my Switch, which is a great storage saving option, but it doesn't exist anymore. Or it really doesn't exist at all once I'm done playing it because it, it only exists in the cloud. Mm. I, I'm just very disturbed by this trend in games of removing ownership of the game itself from the player, and I see this as a very disturbing step in that direction. If games keep moving towards cloud services, even if they let a game like Resident Evil 7 be running on a platform like the Switch with relatively few compromises made visually, I'm still going to play old games. If in a few console generations... It's only a cloud service game. Your box is a glorified internet connection. If it's all Steam Link, Mm. I'm not going to be playing new games anymore. Yeah. I guess I didn't think about it at all from that perspective as someone who is mostly a digital game consumer. I guess I would not even thought about the fact that you may not be able to just keep a digitally downloaded game on your console without having to pay for it after X amount of time or months. Like, I mean, I consume most games as I said, digitally, like I don't really buy a physical copy anymore, but I definitely am someone who revisits game after months and months and months and like I'll play something, go away and come back to it. And I guess having to rent a game each time, you know, sort of that 180 days or that time period comes up, having to repay again just to tinker in a game for a couple of hours, that I guess is extremely not cost effective at all for someone that revisits games and not just kind of clocks them and deletes them. So... From that perspective, yeah. And that's assuming the game is still available at all. Capcom might look at the rental rate on Resident Evil 7 after a couple years and say, well, this game is no longer worth keeping on our platform. It doesn't make us enough money, so we're just we're going to make this game so it's not available anymore. Mm. There will no longer be a permanent record, uh, a permanent existence of any of these games. Like uh, when all the games that I download digitally on the Switch, I keep them downloaded. They're always on an SD card. I don't rely on the eShop to always be available to me if I want to play a game. And I especially don't want to rely on a cloud service to always be available to me because that's even more fickle than the eShop is now. Like Just talking about the Switch eShop, Infinite Mini Golf disappeared from the eShop for a couple months, and we still don't really know why. And we're probably lucky that it got back on there. Mm. Yeah, well... That's definitely um, a troubling perspective that I hadn't considered when I saw the RE news. I just kind of thought Resident Evil, not really my thing anyway. Um, But no, I guess considering how rentable TV goes like Netflix and how shows just disappear randomly after X amount of time, 
I guess I hadn't thought about that lack of permanence that renting video games really means for most regular consumers. Oh geez, well, um, <laughs> technology I guess. But yeah, not an advancement. I guess Andrew and myself are super keen on considering we consume games in a different way than, I guess, people that rent them would. Like imagine the speedrunning community that's built around just like, just Super Mario Brothers 3. If Super Mario mm-hmm. Brothers 3 was available the way Resident Evil 7 is available, that community would not exist. That community yeah. that community only exists because Super Mario Brothers 3 was available physically, so ROMs of it are widely available on the internet. But a cloud version that is only available to the corporation that owns it and is just licensing it out to people, we're lucky Resident Evil 7 exists on a disc at all. So that way there may be 20 years from now, there will be a community playing it the way people play Super Mario Brothers 3 today. I could talk about this for an entire podcast episode, but I... I am very disturbed by this trend. I do not like it at all. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm sure it'll be good to get Andy's thoughts on this as well once he's back next week. But in the meantime, while we are a two-person show, we should probably still cover what we ended up playing this week. There personally weren't many games, for me at least, that are, I guess, fresh releases as of this week that really really grabbed my attention but um as a rhythm game fanatic i thought i have a crack at runner 3 and i know that andrew did as well Mm -hmm. so for the uninitiated runner 3 at least in my experience has been marketed as like a rhythm platforming game it really kind of is more like a not quite an endless runner but it is the name suggests it's a game about running and avoiding obstacles so it's, I think, the third game in the Bit Trip Runner saga, which I played the first game in that years ago and have long since lost all memory slash reference point for the title. So Runner 3 was sort of like my reintroduction to the franchise. Just as someone who is into rhythm games, let me just say first off, if you like playing rhythm games, you know how rhythm games go. You kind of have to hit the beats of the rhythm of the song with the notes and then you get like audiovisual feedback of you hitting the beat and like a grade on your score like a perfect good or you know whatever your accuracy of hitting the exact beat or rhythm in the music is key to performing well in runner three not quite <laughs> i got the feeling as someone who i guess is classically trained in in music and stuff i like to think that after about 25 years I can kind of pick out where the beats are in a song and what the rhythm is like. In in this game, timing your jumps or your encounters with obstacles to exactly hit the beat, that will just probably end up getting you killed. The game has a little bit of, I guess, what I would call audiovisual delay in the feedback that it gives you. Like, if you're going to jump exactly on the beat or sort of jump to hit a particular item that will make a sound on the exact beat of the song, your timing is going to be completely off. And that really annoyed me because I went into it thinking, oh, rhythm game, great, I'm going to love this. I am probably feeling it about it the way Andrew feels about Banner Saga. <laughs> Very disappointed. <laughs> it is, um, I guess, a game about running. And uh, I've since forgotten all about the other two runner games. So when I opened it up and it was like, Mr. and Mrs. Runner live in a nice house in the suburbs and they go about running around the world. I was like, okay, cool, that's fine. It's not 
I think I can admit safely not the game for me. And I don't even think it's really a game for people that enjoy rhythm games. It's a game for people that enjoy endless runner type games and are okay with some needless or incomprehensible syncopation of rhythm and major lines in music. I don't know. Um, maybe Andrew will have a slightly more forgiving outlook on this game, but I thought it was handled mechanically not very well. Music, incredibly repetitive. Yeah. And some of the deaths I just found nonsensical. So... What about you, Andrew? What do you think? This was actually the first runner game I'd played, but I was looking forward to it because everything I'd heard about the Bit Trip series and especially the Runner series was that this was a great rhythm series. Mm-hmm. So I was I was very disappointed with Runner Three because I had many of the same experiences that you did, but I, I wasn't quite as confident in my musical skills mm. as you are just to, to come out and accuse the game of being off the beat. <laughs> Although I. <laughs> I I did have my suspicions at the start because I really struggled to get up a couple of stair sequences where you're supposed to be jumping up the stairs and you have to jump on each step. I really struggled to get up those steps and I I was like, am I just this bad at keeping the beat? Or maybe it's like you said, maybe the song and the jumps were offbeat Mm. because actually there were a few songs that I did near the end of the game uh, where I had no problem getting up those stairs because it felt right on. Yeah. But there are 30 levels uh, in Runner 3, plus a lot of bonus levels. Uh, So there's a pretty decent amount of content in this, but they're divided into just three different worlds. So you're not seeing a lot of thematic variety between the different levels. And also, there's 10 levels in each world, and I am still not sure if each level set actually used a different song because they all sounded so similar to one another in each level set in each world. Uh, I I was very disappointed in that, especially after like playing Rayman Legends and the musical levels in that, which I loved. And the musical compositions were so great. And then I played this one and it's pretty generic electronic music, which even right now sitting here, having just played it a couple days ago, I'm struggling to remember what any of the music in this game sounded like. Yeah. And another thing I struggled with was because I was having such a problem keeping the beat to the audio, I was trying to guide myself to levels by focusing on Commander Video. But his movement is so smooth. There's no feedback. There's no tactile reaction to him when he's moving. So like when I jumped, uh, I couldn't really tell when he landed all the time because mm. this is a 3D game and it likes to throw things at the screen at you to show it's like look we're playing with polygons now so <laughs> often the screen was obscured when I was tr- supposed to be doing something with commander video and I just ran smack into a wall or something that was pretty annoying did you have rumble on when you were playing this game oh god well uh, yes I was about to get to that okay. because the first time I, I I guess he my character was concussed after running into something mm-hmm. the force of the rumble was so violent wow i felt like i was holding my switch and i wanted to actually let go of it (laughs) and it was just something about the noise and it was like a prolonged kind of like buzzing sound like the rumble wasn't just when oh i sighted to a wall it was like i sighted into the wall it started rumbling i fell back in slow motion and the thing was still rumbling and i was like why this is so unnecessary and as someone who died a lot in, I suspect, the exact same set, stair sequences you were talking about, I heard that sound and I felt that feeling a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
It was not comfortable. It was very uncomfortable. I don't know. I mean, I wish I could have gotten some of that tactile feedback, like you said, on the back end of jumping or moving or something, just to give me a indication of, I guess, how long each jump is, something to gauge the distance, you know? Why they only ever use the rumble for that one particular purpose of you getting huh. hit by something and dying was just strange to me. Yeah, because I had the rumble disabled, and maybe we'll talk about this in a moment. Mm. But I was wondering if I had, maybe I had the rumble turned on, if maybe it gives you some, just a little jolt when you land so that we know you've landed. Uh, but nope. I, <laughs> okay. Well, so yeah, just as a rhythm platformer, it seems to be offbeat. As a platformer, it doesn't feel like it handles very well. Uh, but the game is challenging, and there is a lot of extra stuff to do after you beat the game because there's actually 100 basic collectibles to be earned in each standard level and then there when you finish a level there's actually a harder version of the level you can play that has even more collectibles in it and then there's there's things hidden in each level like vhs tapes puppets and there's unlockable characters that you can find in each level and all this stuff is told to you on the loading screens but it doesn't actually tell you how to do any of it so i was very confused like, I wanted to unlock more characters. Like, Charles Martinet, the voice of Mario, is a playable character in this game. I wanted to unlock Charles <laughs> Martinet, and I wanted to play a level as him. But the loading mm. screen just tells you, you can unlock new characters by doing a hero quest. I was like, okay, great. Where do I do a hero quest at? Turns out that there are actually NPCs locked up literally in the maps, in the levels, and you have to find them to start the hero quests. I was on, right. yeah, I was on, like, the 25th level before I found one of these characters. And at that point, I was just like, oh, never mind. <laughs> so it's just, it's so obtuse and it's so just, I was really disappointed in Runner 3. I was disappointed with everything I played this week. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was a very sad week. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, pl um. I'm planning to play Resident Evil 7 on my PS4 out of protest. <laughs> Well, hopefully that will cheer you up. Um, definitely the same way about Runner 3. I guess if you're thinking about buying it and you're listening to the podcast, obviously, just because we hate it, it doesn't mean that you will. I do think, and I don't, I really don't say this very often, but I do think that the fact that it's being marketed as a rhythm game is a big issue because of, I guess, the lack of synchronicity with the actual tracks. So if you're only looking at it because you like rhythm games maybe try and find one of the other really really great rhythm games in the store that the switch has had over the past year and a bit i think maybe there have been more variety in the music which is normally one of the selling points of a rhythm game i would have been a little bit more lenient on my assessment but i think the eShop page mentioned that it was music from the past games oh. so i guess if you haven't played those you're not really gonna i guess care about the the sounds or not be able to recognize the different tracks as well or have them be meaningful so yeah that's just my caveat about this title i don't give those often because obviously everyone's different and subjective and whatnot but i think the whole rhythm game not actually being really great about enforcing rhythm or using rhythm is a big issue <laughs> Unfortunately, it looks like Andrew and I weren't giving glowing reviews of the stuff we played this week, but that's fine. That's life. What we, one thing we did mention briefly just now, though, was HD Rumble, which is a nice convenient segue into our discussion topic for the week. So we have been wanting to discuss this for a while now, a couple of weeks at least. 
And I know all of us have, I guess, our own thoughts on HD Rumble. I know some of us don't use it at all. Some of us, like me, always have it turned on. So why don't we start with, I guess, a general overview of how we each use HD Rumble. So Andrew, you mentioned you had yours turned off. Do you normally use it or do you just not use HD Rumble at all? A couple months ago now, I just got so irritated with it, with how much noise it makes and often how powerful it is. I just turned it off on on the mm-hmm. console level. It, it's not activated on any game that I play anymore because I'm just fed up with it and I really don't miss it in most of the games I play. Mm-hmm. But this goes back all the way to the start of the Switch when it first came out. Blaster Master Zero was kind of the warning sign because actually I think there were, I remember reading news stories about them having to put a patch out to reduce the power of the rumble in that game because it was just so overdone and mm-hmm. blaster master zero was the first game that i played on the bus because i do take the bus to get to work and people were looking at me to see what all the noise was when i was playing it on the bus so i i <laughs> eventually turned it off on an individual level in that game yeah there are games like uh, breath of the wild uses HD Rumble great. Uh, actually, I think it's mostly mm. Nintendo games that seem to have gotten it right, but mm. I, I've just turned it off altogether because I don't, I don't want to deal with it. It's, it's too noisy. It's too powerful. I'm still half convinced that the problems I'm having with my Joy-Con right now are because of the mm. HD Rumble that have actually damaged the interior parts because oh. it, it spends so much time rattling. I'm half yeah. convinced that's the source of my problems with my Joy-Cons. But Interesting. I, yeah, you mentioned when you were on the plane, coming back from oh, your fuck. vacation, uh, when you yeah. were playing Donkey Kong, uh, your neighbor asked you to turn it off, which is why I yeah. wanted to. I wanted to talk about this subject. How are you doing with HD Rumble a year and three months down the line? Yeah, well, now I think the seed of doubt has been planted in my mind because I know Andy hasn't mentioned having any Joy-Con problems, but you and I have kind of commiserated about our Joy-Con problems. And I'm wondering now if my reluctance to ever turn it off has somehow resulted in how loose my Joy-Cons are getting. Hmm. I know I had the original launch date ones, which were not perfect anyway, but... I don't know. Now now you've planted this year down in my head. If we kind of, I guess, rewind time back to me coming back from my vacation in America, I'll just set the scene for you. You know, it's a long haul flight from America to, to New Zealand. It's like something like between 11 and 14 hours. Pretty long. It was a flight that had sort of, I guess, started at night. So it was an overnight flight. So people were obviously trying to get some sleep. And... My, I was going to say cellmate for some reason, but um, <laughs> my my seat partner sitting next to me had been like, you know, like coughing, like laughing really loudly during, I guess, the flight prior to wanting to have a nap. And so I thought, you know, oh, HG Rumble, I'm sure it's going to be okay. How bad could it really be? He was just cackling over Harry Potter earlier. It'll be fine. Fast forward an hour from that assessment I made in my mind. I'm happily playing Donkey Kong, not as Funky Kong. So just getting my butt kicked generally in like, I think it was like World 3 or something at the time. And I was playing, but the tray table on the seat in front of me folded out towards me. I had like the very, very thin airline blanket on top of that table. 
like draped over my knees and the table and then I had my switch I guess in my hands and I had my hands flat against the tray table so there was like one barrier of the thin airline blanket between I guess my switch's joy cons the bottom of my switch joy cons and the table and I thought that would be sufficient and because when you're on the plane there's always this like kind of roaring sound that you kind of hear in the back of your you know like it's sort of just in the background and stuff can sound pretty muffled so I was just happily playing away had my headphones plugged in and stuff like that just like not concentrating on the actual noise of the HD rumble and I'm just playing away jumping into things getting my butt kicked and then I get like a tap on my shoulder and then my my seat partner is trying to get my attention and I was like oh cool like he wants to go to the bathroom I'll just get up and whatever and then he like points at my switch and he says pretty loudly over the roar of I guess the engine slash the plane's interior noise he goes could you turn that off it's actually really annoying and I'm trying to sleep and I was like oh crap I didn't realize it was that loud and so I took out my headphones and I was like okay surely he's overreacting like this can't be the case Um, I turned it off then but when he was in the bathroom doing whatever people do in the bathroom I turned it back on played a bit of a level and it was like rattling it was making a rattling sound against the table even though there was a layer of cloth between it (laughs) And prior to then, I hadn't realized how, I guess, intense that sound was. Maybe it's just the level that Donkey Kong had it at that may have been too much because I never felt like the rumble was too much when I played Legend of Zelda and stuff like that. I didn't feel like it was too much when I was playing Donkey Kong, but it is a noticeable sound, guys. Like, it is definitely loud enough um, for your seat partner on a crowded airplane flight to be like, could you please not do that? That is pretty rude. So... Um, after that, I've definitely stopped turning it on um, when I'm actually using my Switch out and about. I still have it on at home because I actually kind of, I think, semi reliant it now for tactile feedback. I like feeling the weight, I guess, of things when like Link jumps off stuff and lands or when I'm, you know, hitting something or getting some sort of getting or taking damage from something or I guess even in this running game, which I didn't like, um, the feedback you get when you collide with something as well like I really rely on the rumble and how most games use it to mean tactile feedback I mean I could I could do without it if I had to but I'm just so used to it and I just really like that feeling of being in a game landing on something and feeling like the ground shaking you know what I mean like it feels I don't want to say real because obviously it's not real but it feels more immersive so I keep it on for that particular reason but I am very conscious now of how people around me are probably cursing my existence when I have it on a public transport. So, I don't know, I mean, do you find it useful, Andrew, from that same tactile perspective when you used to use it? Well, like I said in Runner 3, I wondered if I had the rumble on, if I could tell when Commander Video was landing better, but apparently not. Mm. So, Mm. yeah, I've got it turned off and I don't miss it. There was one game, what was I playing? where my character was getting hit and I, I something was missing. And yeah. I realized after a while it's because the rumble wasn't turned on. I don't even remember what that game was now, so I guess it's not important. No, I don't miss it at all. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I think Breath of the Wild is one that I guess stands out to me as a game that uses HD rumble really, really well. Yeah, I think HD rumble is just so new that developers don't really know how to use it, so they're just using it like they would rumble in any other game. And yeah. I think 
from a development perspective with HD Rumble, less is probably more. <laughs> mm. Yeah, fair enough. That's probably how everyone that's ever sat next to me on any kind of public <laughs> commute feels over the past year and a half. So I'm really sorry for that, people that I'll never meet again. But know that I've now been educated <laughs> about how intense the HD Rumble is. And yeah, I am definitely starting to notice more, I guess, games where it's used well and games where it's, I guess, a missed opportunity to have to have it in um or to even use it at all so yeah i guess with time they'll be able to refine it and people can take more cues from nintendo first party releases about how to do that um from my experience anyway but i'm sure it's going to be in super smash brothers and you know games going forward and it's just i can't i like that i feel that kind of feedback for brawling games particularly useful so fingers crossed we hope they're going to get it right I'm sure they will. Like uh, when the 3DS came out on the classic 3DS, the 3D effect was much criticized. I didn't have too much of a problem with it, but I understood the complaints because you did have to keep your face like in a very specific place in front of the 3DS for it to work at all, which wasn't always possible for the way some people really need to play a platform that small. And then they Mm -hmm. came out with the new 3ds which had the eye tracking technology in it that made the 3d work pretty much perfectly i was really impressed with that uh so hopefully we don't have to wait for a hardware update to the switch for them to get hd rumble (laughs) under control what i'd like to see is just a a firmware patch that lets us like have a slide bar that we can Mm. select how powerful the rumble effect is then i could just drop it down to 20 percent, and i'd be happy (laughs) but yeah that would be ideal Yeah. yeah but just looking at how the 3D effect worked on the 3DS, I'm sure in time they'll figure it out. And it's just, it's a new thing that people still are learning to contend with. And unfortunately, it's not going very well yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh, well. Um, had it here first, Nintendo. Put it in, um, put in that, um, that sliding scale for your HD Rumble, and you'll have many, many happy consumers. Ready? Go! So now that we've talked about our discussion topics and what we've played this week, um, predictably, we've got our semi-new segment, the Super Smash Bros. for Nintendo Switch prediction segment. So let's just run through our predictions today. I'm going to read out Andy's because he prepared one anyway, and we can have a bit of a yarn about that. So first up, I'll just do Andy's now. It's a character from either Bravely Default or Octopath Traveler. Hmm... I don't know if it's super, I guess, feasible. I guess I always saw the character roster as characters that would be drawn from games that had already kind of made us made a splash for longer than, I guess, a couple of months before the release of the game. But that's assuming that we get Smash Bros. for Switch this year. But I don't, I don't know if Octopath Traveler would translate that well to, or I guess it's that kind of game that would want to have a character and... Smash Bros. I mean, what do you think? Bravely Default, I don't think is well known enough, and Octopath yeah. Traveler, 
I mean, that's a big title for the Switch coming up. I think it's one of the biggest of the year that we know about so far. It's the first mm -hmm. big exclusive RPG for the Switch, and for all we know, it's the only exclusive RPG the Switch <laughs> is ever going to get with uh, yeah. with the history Nintendo has had with RPGs in the past few generations. That's entirely possible. Like Pikmin, Captain Olimar, he got a statue in Super Smash Bros. Melee, and I don't think Pikmin was even out when that happened. But Pikmin was also mm -hmm. a first-party title, and unless yeah. Square is directly involved in the development of Super Smash Bros., which I seriously doubt is going to be the case, I I, yeah. I don't expect to see Octopath Traveler represented in the game, even as a trophy. I just, I'm sorry, Andy. I don't, no, I don't see it happening. <laughs> They'll go. They'll go. Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest before they go with either of those. Yeah, fair enough. As an unfortunate fan of Bravely Default, um, I I will reluctantly have to agree with Andrew here. Um, I liked Bravely Default. I... Oh yeah. Oh well. Okay. All right. That's fine then. Guess I'm in good company on this podcast. But I guess mine might be another similarly esoteric prediction. But I was thinking maybe we would have Crash Bandicoot even if it's just like a trophy or something that he would show up in this game just because it kind of feels like you know crash bandicoot's been a playstation i guess entity slash icon for so long and we have had it confirmed that's come to switch which has been confirmed for a while now and i think that it's just the kind of i guess cross-party bonanza that wouldn't be that out of place not necessarily as a character but as a trophy or something or even maybe like a Crash Bandicoot level, who knows? What do you mm -hmm. think? I could see maybe a trophy. Uh, certainly it would be a nice tie-in for the trilogy, which is coming out at the end of June. But mm -hmm. I actually think a playable character would be more likely than a trophy. Because Crash Bandicoot, oh, yeah. like, back in the day, back when all the people listening to this were uh, not born yet, probably, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Crash Bandicoot used to be basically the de facto PlayStation mascot. And, right. Yeah. That kind of fell out of favor in the PlayStation 2, and then the PlayStation 3 came along, and it became Nathan Drake. <laughs> so the, Crash Bandicoot's kind of in an interesting place uh, as far as what people associate him with being. So I, I mm. could see him quite easily being put in as a playable character in Smash Brothers, just as a a wild card choice, like uh, Rob the Robot was in Super Smash Bros. Brawl. It's like, really? Rob the robot? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something along those lines. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, and then now we get to Andrew's prediction. So what are you predicting for Super Smash Brothers on the Switch? I have been thinking about the mobile games that Nintendo's put out. Uh, what was that Amiibo one they put out? What was that one called? Uh, the Amiibo game. Yeah. They. It was Nintendo's first app, and it was like a big deal for like a week, and then everybody stopped playing it. Anyway... Shows you how important it is. I can't even remember what the dang thing is called. <laughs> <laughs> that one's shut down now, but uh, Super Mario Run is still around. Uh, Fire Emblem Heroes is still around and is doing really well in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, sales. And Animal Crossing is on cell phones now and seems to be doing great. I think we're going to see some Nintendo cell phone content represented in... Smash Brothers probably is a Super Mario Run level or certainly a trophy, but mm. I think we're going to see the mobile games acknowledged in some way. Yeah, okay. Um, I think that's a decent prediction. I definitely agree in terms of how 
the mobile games have been doing well for me anyway, un- unexpectedly well considering how most mobile games go. And I'm thinking about pretty much every Final Fantasy mobile game spinoff that's come out and that I get ads for and they are all horrific. Um, but yeah, um, that's, that's fair enough. Nintendo obviously is doing something right on the mobile front. And that wouldn't be too far-fetched. I mean, clearly they've got t- big teams working on those games. It seems like a logical tie-in. So yeah, why not? And with that, I think that is our show for the week. Surprisingly longer than we had both anticipated, despite being one man down. But that's always a good thing, I guess. So to wrap up briefly, why don't we talk about what we're going to play this coming week? So while I'm still on the fence, um, I think I might have a look at Pixel Junk Monsters 2 only because there isn't a lot coming out next week. And also it's kind of been talked about by some of my mates who have played Pixel Junk Monsters already. And I know, Andrew, you were looking at that as well. That's a tower defense game. Yeah, yeah there's a demo on the eShop, at least in North America. So maybe if you're interested in it, you might switch over to that storefront and download the demo. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I played the demo. Uh, I've been looking for a good tower defense game on the Switch, and I think this is going to be the one that I check out. It's a surprisingly leisurely paced game for a tower defense mm-hmm. game, but you know it's a demo, and it's just letting you play the first level. So yeah, <laughs> I that that may change, but. The graphics are gorgeous. The screenshots and the concept art that was out there was made it look like they were going to make it look like stop motion animation. It's not quite uh-huh. it's not quite on that level, but it does look really good. It screenshots really well. And one really cool thing you can do with it is you can actually press the right shoulder button and it'll actually zoom the game in and you can play it like uh, on a third person over the shoulder perspective, but it's still a tower defense game. So you can get some pretty uh, unique views of the battlefield from that perspective. And I was impressed with the demo, uh, and I'm definitely going to give the full game a shot next week. All right, sounds good. I guess I'll give the demo a spin and let you guys know what I end up doing. All right, so that's our show for the week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes because it really helps to get our show noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. And if you want to, you can join our Discord server to interact with our decently lively and very opinionated Switch Focus community. And um, we'll put links for that in the show notes for you so you don't miss out. Um, you can also follow the show on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and keep up with us at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. And if you want to support the show, we'd love it if you could help us buy a coffee, and we'll have the details for that on our website as well. Uh, in the meantime, you can also follow us individually. Andy is at Flamerose Toast, Andrew is at Play Critically, and he also streams at twitch.tv slash playcritically. And... We'll often end up streaming pretty much most of the games that we talk about on the episodes. So tune in if you're curious for, I guess, a live demo, so to speak. And I am Ginny at Ginny Woes, your stand-in host for today. Thank you for listening.